0: you have an Airbnb your home might be worth more than you think
1: find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
0: welcome to the suitcase and the scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna a member of the nation network of podcasts and delivered by doordash
1: Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here for the maiden launch of The Suitcase and The Scribe, my good friend, Mike McKenna. I, I gotta tell you, Mike, as soon as the camera came on, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, feel, I, I feel like I'm not prepared for this. You look great. <laughs> You're in uh, your home closet studio surrounded by, is that every jersey? Because no, I know I don't think you got jerseys from all your teams, but what, what do you got there in your background?
0: it's close. You know, all the jerseys that I was able to procure after my career, only a few were given to me by teams. A lot of them I've traded for, I've had to go back and purchase. Uh, I've gotten to be friends with some of the people that collect and they've helped me out. So uh, it is awesome to have this room with basically every mask. I do have every mask that I wore, uh, which is amazing. And then most of my jerseys and some, some awards and pictures, and it's just a big tribute to a you know, pretty lackluster career, but it's nice because when people come to visit the house and they decide to stay in the guest room, hey, if you want to hang your clothes, you're going to have to deal with everything that's in here. So, uh, this is my me room. I didn't want it to permeate throughout the house. I, I really would like to keep that focused on the family. And um, I mean, your your living room looks beautiful. I love the artwork and the the fireplace in the background. So, don't sell yourself short here, Scott. This is an exciting endeavor, man. I. I I'm pumped, man. This would be so much fun to do this for in perpetuity,
1: you know? Uh, well, listen, I got your memo. I had the shirt and tie and the jacket ready to go, but I got your memo that uh, here at uh, the Suitcase and Describe, we are going relaxed dress code. I uh, got the Lululemon shorts on. You can't see them, thank goodness. But uh, no, we're going casual here. And I noticed you're you're sporting the uh, St. Louis Cardinals cap, the hometown cards after it today in the, as we're taping uh, in the wild card game. Uh, But I want to get, so we talked about your jerseys and the mask you, for people who don't know, and and you should know Mike McKenna, four years, St. Lawrence university. Mike, I have to tell you uh, to text from a number of NHL executives who said, I'm going to be an over my head (laughs) smarts wise with a St. Lawrence guy. Uh -uh. Uh, Your first pro game, 2005, 2006, Las Vegas, Wranglers in the ECHL, your career ended up that 2018 19 season was pretty wacky. But Belleville, Ottawa, Philly, Lehigh Valley Phantoms, um, what an extraordinary trip for you, Mike and uh, and I'm I'm uh, I'm wondering when you think of the journey, would, you know what do you what do you think of like when you think of that. Uh, of the path that you traveled. What do you think of now that you've stepped away from it in terms of the playing part of it for a couple of years now?
0: It's just surreal. And by the way, I don't know which uh, people in management you were speaking with. I think they're letting the St. Lawrence reputation proceed what I could actually <laughs> do in the intelligence department, but it's duly noted and appreciated. I just think of my career and sometimes, you know, you get these flashbacks with social media where you see memories, whether it's Facebook or different mediums and I'll see things that came up from eight, 10 years ago, you know, when I was playing in maybe Binghamton or Peoria. And at that point in my career, I'm thinking like, I'm a grizzled veteran seven, eight years in. And I ended up playing 14 years of professional hockey and getting the opportunity to wear nine sweaters in the NHL and not play a lot for them, but I wore them, you know, and earned those chances. And I I just sometimes marvel at how, you know, I don't think things really lined up for me a lot of times. I think I had to make my opportunities you know, I had to play well enough at the minor league level to get those call-ups. And I'm proud of that. I'm really proud of how I was able to adapt my game over the years, to learn new things, to listen to the people that surrounded me. And frankly, to keep getting jobs based on the fact that teams thought I'd be good in a locker room and I could mentor people. That meant a lot to me. And, you know, as a goaltender, you've got to be a mentor. You've got to be a a good teammate to your goalie partner. You've got to help each other out. Uh, And and that was really a core tenant of what I did, but it was just such an amazing journey. And the people I met along the way, like Scott, you and I met in Dallas when I was there 12th year, 13th year of my pro career. And, you know, Scott, like I, I had read your work for a number of years. Uh, Obviously you've, you've written for some major publications uh, and an incredibly accomplished career on your own. Right. And we get the chance to sit down and, you know, people they hadn't really told my story. A lot of it had just been, okay, here's Mike, you know, he's being called up. Maybe he'll play. That's about the end of it. And, you know, I just, I was really flattered when, you know, you wrote a piece on me that was basically the story of my career in a lot of ways. And I just thought, wow, you know, somebody actually cares and somebody gets it for once. You know, that it's so easy to look at a guy like me that was really a number three goaltender and think like, oh, he's just playing for the love of the game. You know, he's just kicking around. And no, man, I was driven and I wanted more every year. It just didn't fall that way. And I was always thankful for that. And now, like, Scott, like, can you imagine here we are? We've got the opportunity to work together and do this podcast and tell all these stories from all of our experiences. It's so
1: cool. Yeah, I remember. So I remember the night we were in San Jose. Kari Lettinen gets hurt. Uh, ben Bishop had been hurt earlier, and uh, the season was not going way The Dallas Stars had hoped. But yep. you got the call in the middle of the game uh, in San Jose, came in, played outstanding. Stars got a win uh, against the Sharks. It was a ton of fun. And, you know, I, I'm really curious, Mike, because the last couple of years you spent – um, you know, you've transitioned so wonderfully. It sounds like Eddie Haskell here, but you've transitioned so nicely, given your experience to to various platforms. And But you spent a couple of years um, providing color and analysis for the um, Golden Knights in Vegas. And I wonder when you think of the, that experience and maybe you know, the kinds of lessons you've learned in, you know, how you view the game, how you communicate what you're seeing as a longtime player. And I always think the goaltenders have a perspective on the game that is so different than, than skaters and coaches or GMs for that matter. But I wonder when you think back of, you know, in the last couple of years and watching so closely, have you learned lessons? Have you learned stuff about yourself, about the game, how you view it, how you communicate it? Oh, completely. You know, goaltenders
0: view, you have this really unique lens where everything is in front of you and it's very different from the players. Now, during the summertime, I always played, I played forward. I love to go score goals in the summer and I love to be able to skate with my dad. My dad's 71 and we still play hockey together. It's amazing. You know, it's, (laughs) it's, it's it's the best. And I I hope that, you know, my daughters and I have that chance someday, but I do think that that gave me some more insight into how the overall game is played. But it didn't really sink in until I had to analyze that in real time. And I had to put myself in the shoes or in the skates of the players, of the defensemen, of the forwards. I had to learn from an analyst standpoint what it's like to drive the F1 forward to push the D back and give space to the F2 and F3 coming and how to eloquently describe that on air and make it simple enough for people to understand without missing details. That was important to me. I didn't want to just be a goaltender that described it. Is it my wheelhouse? Absolutely. I've got a piece up on DFO right now relating to a great save that Mark andre Fleury made the other night in preseason. It's my honey hole. I could do goalie all day long. But what I really have enjoyed doing, Scott, is taking things outside of what I'm really good at and making myself good at that, you know, and pushing myself to find that. And it's not just players. Like you really, uh, when you're doing analyst work, You have to crowdsource. You have to talk to people. You have to learn a new skill set other than just walking in a singular locker room. And you have to learn what the general managers are thinking. You you have to put yourself in the coach's shoes. And so all of those things came together, I think, to making me, if I distill it down to one thing, it makes me watch hockey differently than I used to. A goalie's eye used to be, I watched the goalies the whole time. And you know what? I still get to do that when I watch my watch my old college team, my alma mater, St. Lawrence University. I'm just watching the goalies there for the most part. But when I watch NHL hockey, I'm watching everything now and soaking it in and trying to make sure that I understand the full breadth of the game, not the game within the game in the crease. You know, and and Scott, I'll flip that around to you. You've done this. You've been involved in media for so long and and writing. And I, I would have to imagine I question you this. How has it evolved for you from the time you started as a writer, as a young media starlet in the hockey world, to what you do now today?
1: Yeah, well, it's a, it has. I mean, it's changed pretty dramatically. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm an ink stained wretch, right? I started in the business as a newspaper guy. I was a news guy for a long time, and um, you know, even when I Transition from news to to you know covering sports, which was almost exclusively hockey I did some football and along the way and different things but uh, but mostly it's been hockey and um it, it you know what it, it has changed dramatically in terms of you know sort of the 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 skill set that you need to bring to it i mean there was no such thing as a podcast when i started uh, there was you know i owned a i, I you know i had a, i went to work with a notepad and a pen i don 't even know if I had a tape recorder because of that you know when I started i mean tape recorders were like this big right i mean <laughs> you had to haul around the cassette tapes with you exactly <laughs> yeah. so you know, I think that 's one of the things in terms of you know sharing stories and communicating you know, what is going on in the game or my take or what people have said or shared, um, you know, that changed the ability to do, a, you know, to to communicate on different levels. You know, I spent a long time, I was 13 years at ESPN slash ESPN.com, not too much hockey, but a fair amount of video, lots of podcasts, um, but also the immediacy of turning things around. And I think there's a, you know, there's a certain, you, know, you have to be so careful now because the rush to be first or who's getting a tweet out. And, you know, is it, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, it's better to be right than to be first but there is a lot of pressure on some levels to be first and to, to, you know, to be breaking stories and to be on the, on the front curve of that. So, you know, that has changed a lot over time as well. And, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up in a time when I wrote a story for the paper and, and you, you waited to see what all the other newspapers had, right. And you had to wait until you physically had one in your hand. Um, you know, I've got a son who's just turned 19. I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen him hold a newspaper in his hand. Like, I don't know <laughs> if he's ever had that experience. So yeah. that's a big, that's a big change. It's interesting. Um, like, you know, yeah. I, I would still
0: get, grab the daily crossword when I was playing. I love to do a crossword every day when I was active and I still do nowadays. It kind of warms my brain up, but there's just something about that tactile feel of a newspaper. Isn't there that's, and it's missing, like you said, like your son doesn't have that opportunity anymore.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. Um, well, All right. It's been fun. All right. Let's, let's, let's talk some NHL hockey. I think it's time for that. I can't, I always love this part of the season. As you and I are talking, Mike, we're less than a week away from the start of the 21, 22 season. Got Olympics in the mix. We've got hopefully a return to normalcy. Hopefully, you know, COVID-19, you know, we're not, we're not clear of it, but hopefully this season will represent something close yeah. to normal. And we're so managing we're it now, I would yeah, say. That's it. And th- there's been some, there's been tons of news as we even approach the, f- the first game. And I, I think the biggest story in hockey, you know, and it, may, and it may turn out to be a story that continues to be, or to, uh, to resonate throughout the, the season and beyond perhaps is um, Robin Leonard, uh, a guy, you know, very well. And of course yep. in Vegas um, and his social media, um, uh, the word I'm looking for, but sharing on social media sure. some very serious concerns about uh, a whole range of things. And I, I, I wonder, you know, from the moment you saw those tweets going out, what went through your mind and, and what was your reaction to, to what Robin Lehner had to say um, to the hockey world?
0: Well, if the first thing that catches your eye is just, this is so uncommon within the Vegas Golden Knights. Okay. Beyond the aspect of what Robin was saying, it was like, he's really putting himself out there. He didn't tweet all last season until playoffs. The whole team didn't tweet last year at all. And now all of a sudden the shackles are off. He's saying what he wants to. So to me, this is truly a personal decision that, Hey, whatever the team has said for us about social media, I don't care. This is important enough. And I need to say this and the guts it takes to do that. Is massive, and this kind of started last year during the bub- or during the season when, uh, you know, it came down to the vaccination status. And Robin put it out there that hey, like we think that if we all get vaccinated, we're going to get more privileges. We can do more things, and that was the start of it. And Robin sat on stage for twelve minutes, pouring his heart out in one of the really the bravest things I've seen a player do to sit up there and truly speak about what he felt no matter what anybody else decided about. And to, I can tell you that this ruffled people in the hockey world when he did that to an extent that I hadn't seen, I listened and heard people within hockey mock what he was doing. And to me, it made me feel sick yeah. because this is a person standing up for what he thought was right.
1: Yeah.
0: And you know, that's kind of where this continues to the hard part to this is that, You know, Robin has really put some things out there. I mean, essentially calling upon another team's head coach to be fired. In some ways, blackmailing the NHL to get this done. I'm going to release something every day unless you fix this. I mean, that's kind of blackmail. (laughs) And, you know, that didn't resonate well within hockey circles for some people. But then you've also got those who've been wronged by things within the game that are going Yeah, go get them, Robin. It's about time somebody stood up for this. It's about time somebody had the guts to do this. And I mean, he even mentioned it. Wait, wait till the NHL cancels me for this, you know, and that hasn't happened. You know, he has a lot of leverage here and he's using it. He's using that bully pulpit. And the real question for me is who comes along with him? Who's willing to jump on this bandwagon and make it happen? Because sometimes all you need to do is you get a crack in a levy and things start to go. Yeah, You know, he's, there's a lot going on there, but I think his crusade and it's crusade is not the right word. I just think what he's doing is virtuous. I think he's standing up for what he believes, but I think he's got to be careful with it because the messaging wasn't perfect when it came out. It was passionate and it has created some change and it's rattled some cages. Um, But I think moving forward, like he said, Hey, I'm happy with the progress, but it's going to be behind closed doors from now on.
1: Yeah. Well, and that, you know, I'm here's, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, you know, I talked to pe- people who are connected with the uh, the NHLPA when they were, you know, that they were involved in the process as well. And certainly the fact that the, and already the NHLPA and the NHL have met and, you know, sort of to take steps forward to address what Robin was talking about during the the series of social media tweets Um and there is, I, I agree, I think there's a certain, there has to be some caution because if you're talking about, and let's talk about whether it's the, the use of opioids or uh, sleep aids or whatever it is, which I, has for years and years been a real problem, you would know better certainly than well, I am. But and I it's, remember- it's been documented, really. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty open
0: secret that, hey, like teams weren't, and in general players were getting prescribed things or given things that, that may not have jived with proper medical ways about going you right. know that's kind of already out there
1: right and and well and and i guess you know since i think it was the uh, after the lockout in 2012 i mean there's been it's enshrined in the cba now that yes. you know the control of of those kinds of substances and and the league and the PA and their doctors trying in lockstep, at least in theory, to monitor the use of, of that. Now, no one is naive enough to think that if you are, if you are seeking whether it's self-medicating with pain or sleep and all those issues, which are real and, and are critical issues for players, you can, you can find them. There's no doubt, but the league and the players, like it's not like they have, they aren't keeping track that in they are. And so yeah. um, I, I do think it's important. I, I think it's important. And my guess is in these private conversations now, it, they're going to look at specifics. What really, you know, if you were told this, can you share? You know, if there are if, if there are things that are falling through the cracks, let's address them. But it need they'll need to get specific answers and to be able to verify them. I, I guess. Well, let me ask it this way. My sense is there's still a lot of cynicism about the NHL and maybe the NHLPA by extension about how you react to something like this because it's brand new, right? This is a player playing he's he's an important player on one of the best teams in the nhl and he has put himself out there to have these conversations i think there's cynicism that oh the all the nhl wants to do is shut robin lane or up i would like to think that what the nhl and the pa hope to do is to find out what he's really talking about and if there are issues that have fallen through the crafts or been ignored that they address them I, what's your mm-hmm. sense of moving forward
0: I think a lot of this comes down to what the PA does and how they communicate with people. And, you know, if these, if these problems and issues have been brought up in private to the PA and the PA hasn't moved on it, they haven't gotten any traction. The NHL hasn't uh, truly been aware of what's going on. Then everything Robin's saying makes a lot of waves for a reason. And I think there's across the board, a lot of players aren't happy with the PA, you know, for one reason or another, whether it's escrow, whether it's anything. Um, it's a hard job, too. Like, let's be honest, like the PA has a lot of conflicting voices trying to pull them in different directions. In some ways, it's a bit of a bloated organization. There's a lot of people that are, you know, in the pipeline and, and they're ancillary folks trying to do things for the players. And sometimes that voice gets muddied. And, you know, I, I think the PA is going to have to do a better job of crowdsourcing these opinions and making them happen on purpose. And like, let's, and they need leadership to do that. Like look at the Eichel situation that Robin is so passionately spoken about in the C in the CBA. It says that the team has the ultimate say when it comes to medical care for the player, first one that's on the team. They take the first opinion, the second opinion, a player can go get it. If it's contrary to the team, they go to a third party arbitrary or third party opinion but ultimately, the team physician makes a decision. They just take into account the second and third. So basically, second and third opinions don't matter. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, whose fault is that? It's in the CBA. The players signed it. Yes. You know, how does the NHLPA and the players, because they're up. the PA works for the players. That's what always bugs me. The players can tell the PA what to do. And if they're not happy, you get rid of people. The players signed on the dotted line for that. They decided, okay, yeah, we're good with this. And now it's a problem. So when the dollars and cents are all that matters to people, they forget about the important things. The fact that when you're done playing hockey at 35 or 40 years old, you're still going to live until you're 80 or 90, hopefully. Yeah. And you're going to have to deal with medical decisions that have been foisted upon you by your employer because you agreed to it. Yeah. And that, well, to me, that's, that's a lack of
1: leadership from within and from the top. Well, and that, I mean, I, I'm, we could go down the rabbit hole on, on the whole, you know, the the players association, but your point is it's good. It's, it's easy to say, well, what is, you know, the PA allowed this to happen or like, I go back even to, you know, the fact that after, you know, leading up to 2000, the Olympics in 2018, well, it wasn't enshrined in the CBA that the, that the, you know, that the NHL was going to take part, even though it was a, it's a motherhood issue for a lot of players. That's right. why we're going back to Beijing in 2022, all things being equal is because it's now enshrined in the CBA. It wasn't before. Well, again, is that a failing of, uh, of, uh, of leadership at the PA, or is that a failing of the membership who gets the document and did no one put their hand up and say, well, wait a minute, what about the Olympics here? Or, you know, and they, what happened was that they allowed the NHL to try and leverage that failure um, for opening the CBA earlier. And, and it became a bargaining chip that they yeah. NHL probably didn't expect that they would have. So I guess, it, you know, again, you've been in those meetings and you understand the dynamic within the dressing room. But it's, it is at some point the, the buck stops with the players because it's their union. That's right. And it's up to them. And now
0: listen, my, my negotiation experience, admittedly, has been American League level. Sure. And I've done CBAs. I've sat face-to-face with owners, with GMs, with very important people with teams. And you learn very quickly what negotiations are about. They're really about money mostly. Yeah. But you also have to understand that there's all these ancillary topics that you can get movement on. I can guarantee if the players put their foot down and said, we're not doing this until we fix medical, that would change. Because it doesn't matter as much as the revenue sharing. Yeah. Even if even if Jack Eichel is a $50 million asset for the Sabres, that's something that the players could still push on. And who knows? Maybe they pushed hard. But I just don't think that players read enough. I don't think they read the CB. I don't think they're actively involved enough in the negotiations. You know, We try to round up the herd. And you couldn't get anybody to even show up or, or listen to these meetings. And again, that's at the American thing, but I know it's at the NHL too. The only people that are allowed are people that have problems or complaints, yeah. but it's only their cause. You know, they, they just don't have the necessary interest in the whole picture. It's just, can we get rid of escrow, escrow, you know, well, maybe toss your health in there, toss the office, toss all those things. So, you know, there's a lot going on there, Scott and, I, I think if anything that what Robin's done is going to help the dialogue and that's what we can hope for. And hopefully, you know, his cause of, of mental health is, is it helps that as well, because the yeah. players do need that and people don't understand how difficult it is on them. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a topic that's not going to go away and another topic that won't go away happens to be injuries to start a season, Scott, and it's every year, man. Like (laughs) these teams commit to it and you're thinking, man, we're good on paper. We're going to crush them worse. And then all of a sudden, Oh no. Crosby's out. Malkin's out. Is Gensel going to be back? I don't know. Is Aston Reese going to be okay? Like there are so many question marks to a season when people get hurt. And Scott, I'm, I'm wondering from your standpoint, what teams are you looking at thinking there's some question marks here. Can they recover from the injuries that they have presented to them at the start of the season?
1: Yeah, no. And it, um, you touched on it, uh, Mike, the, you know, for me, I think, the, you know, Pittsburgh Penguins are the obvious ones, but, and, and, you know, with with, with all due respect to Jeff Carter, I, I love the pickup of Jeff, Jeff Carter by the Penguins at the trade deadline last year. Um, great career and a, a really important part of that Penguin. The Penguins team, I frankly should have, should beat the Islanders in the first round if they got any kind of goaltending, but I digress, but now he's their number one center. I'm not sure that was the plan for Ron Hextall. No, he was meant to be a a third
0: line winger, potentially (laughs) center if necessary. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, But, but it doesn't start there. And I guess, you know, this is the interesting part is how teams, you know, it's different for some teams. If you get off to a slow start, like if you get off to a slow start in Tampa, Ah, or in Vegas, probably doesn't matter. Colorado, probably doesn't matter as much. For me, the Metro is a complete logjam. have very Mm -hmm. little sense of the whole, you know, if there are, you know, are there three teams that go to the playoffs? Maybe the four, I can't imagine five. But anyway, if you get off to a slow start in the Metro, That that can that can scuttle your season, and I think that's the issue for Pittsburgh. You know, Washington maybe without Nicholas Backstrom with an ongoing hip injury. uh, One of my favorite players in the NHL, just and you know playing in the shadow of uh, of Alex Ovechkin all those years. I don't think people get how. Critical Nicholas Baxstrom is to all of yep. what goes on in washington and i and, and I think it's interesting that both those teams have significant injuries moving potentially moving into the regular season. we know Malcolm and Crosby won't be there to start. you mentioned jake denzel uh, covid nineteen issues hopefully he'll be back um, I, I'm curious like is is there a team that you know where you where you look at the injuries and you think, oh this could these first few weeks could dictate the entire season for this team, whether it's Pittsburgh or Washington. And I, I think of those two teams because I wonder, I, I just, you know, it hasn't been great for them the last couple of playoff years. Are we seeing a window closing on the two, you know, sort of standard bears in terms of franchise success coming out of the 0405 4 5 lockout?
0: Well, I think so. I, I really look at, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, man, like you said, is the tough one for me, missing those two big superstars. And Washington, yeah, Backstrom. I'm also worried about Sam there. He's hurt again. Yeah. And you start to wonder on a career arc for a goaltender. Can he get to that high lofty status that's expected of him? Cause he hasn't really done it yet. There's been glimmers of it and then he's hurt or he's out or that it regresses. There's question marks in goal for Washington, you know, Vanachek's, He's a, he's an NHL goalie. He's proven that. Can he take the next step? They're not expecting him to supplant Samsonov. They need him. So I worry there. Uh, and I think, Across the league, teams are in a tougher spot in some ways. You know, there's a lot of day-to-day at the start of the season.
1: Yeah.
0: I do look at Montreal, who's a team that I really like. Yeah. I really like them. I love how they played last year. I think they finally have a true identity that even without Philip Deno, you still have people like Anderson and Gallagher really leading the way for them in that young mix of Caulfield and Suzuki. But what are they going to be like without Weber? What are they going to be like without having that trigger man and Hoffman at the start of the season? And is Carey Price going to be ready or not? There's so – nobody knows what's going on with Carey Price. I've tried as hard as I can to find out, and it doesn't happen. You know, his knee – he had surgery on his knee, and it was meniscus in July, and that's not a minor surgery for a goaltender. Mm-hmm. There's still question marks if he's ready to play from that. Now he's sick. Now they have good goaltending in Jake Allen. Yeah. But they picked up Samuel Montembo off of waivers. Yeah. That tells me that something's going on with price more than what we think it's not just an insurance for half a day like you're looking to pick somebody off waivers for a month That's how it works It's it, an insurance policy
1: were, were you surprised and, and, you know the and maybe it was all much ado about nothing. maybe Seattle was never going to take a run at Kerry price uh, given the 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 contract and given the fact that it was clear he was going to need the niece procedure it it maybe was just going to be too much for Ron Francis to Mm -hmm. to to, to take a bite on but my sense of it is that spoke to how important Jake Allen was to the Montreal Canadiens in general but specifically with the uncertainty surrounding Carey Price and you know for a team that goes to a Stanley Cup final for the first time since 1993 um, and I know the whole COVID you know people are dismissive of the North Boo-hoo. I, I, they were full value for getting to the final. Now, I don't know. Are they a playoff team? That Atlantic division for me is, is so top-heavy, and there's so many good teams there. Uh, this, again, the start of the season may be so critical for Montreal. What do you make of, of how they follow up a trip to the Stanley Cup final?
0: I think you'd hope in the locker room that they're riding that wave still. I don't think they lost enough pieces to lose that good feeling. I think Corey Perry not being there is going to hurt them. Yeah. And I think that was a bit of a coup for Tampa Bay to pick him up because yep. I still think Tampa Bay can win three straight. I, there's no doubt in my mind that they are a legit contender for three straight. I'm not going to play the, the role, the dice odds of saying, Hey, probability, like they have just as much of a chance to win as they ever have. But Perry played a big role there. They've backfilled nicely though. They have a really good club there. I mean, Kakaniemi goes away as well, but like, just look up and down that lineup. You all are me is there Gallagher, Perot, Paquette, like they're pretty deep but they found some magic last year. Let's not forget that they were a bubble club previously. They weren't necessarily where they, they wanted to be. They weren't top end. They fell off the map for half the season, and then they came roaring back because they started to play defense again. And I think you know Dominic Ducharme's done a nice job of instilling his way of playing into the team, and they finally started to get that. I think he's the key piece to this puzzle, really, is the coaching of it. Do they continue to buy into what he's preaching and play that defensive style that they needed to? That's what carried them. You know, are they a dynamic team that can score with Caulfield and with Suzuki and with Anderson crushing down the wing and now you've got Dvorak in the mix? Yeah, they can. But the core of that team is defending. And I think that I think Jake Allen's a huge part of that. He was last year uh, and will continue to be. I just don't know when Kerry Price comes back how that split works any longer. But keep, I mean, Ducharme to me is he's the linchpin there into how that team progressed throughout the season to get to where they were in the finals yeah um,
1: all right we 're going, uh, going to switch gears here just a little bit, and it sort of goes back to me. We were talking about Robin Laner and and how having a current player speak out and share their you know their thoughts and opinions is is, is a little bit unusual, given the dynamic of hockey we 're going to see and we 're going to see it here at dailyfaceoff dot com but we 're going to see around the NHL. Uh, a real, I think, a, a, a welcome change. I welcome it anyway. A welcome change in terms of we're going to start to hear from officials and, and mm-hmm. one of your you know guy that you know very well and people around the NHL have known for years and years and Tim Peel is part of the, the, the team here at dailyfaceoff.com, both ESPN and TNT. Um, I believe, are, 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 are going to rely on officials to come in and help them uh, help viewers understand whether it's specific plays or how how the game is called, those kinds of things. I, I love that part of the NFL, and I'm a bit surprised that it's taken this long for the NHL to to sort of follow suit in terms of why not have that voice because it's so critical to the flow of the game and how games, uh, you know, the outcome of the game, frankly, but I think I can't wait to see how it goes. And I wonder what your view of it is and whether, you know, what you're looking forward to when, when we start to hear from officials, you know, a voice that has been more or less silenced for forever and ever.
0: Yeah, dating back to when they sent when they took the names off the referee's jerseys. Right. I mean, I Scott, you that. and I, we both remember growing up and seeing, you know, Van Massenhoven across the backplate that they could hardly fit on that zebra sweater. Yes. Uh, you know, and the personalities, Bill McCreary with the big mustache, and then you have Terry Frazier with the perfect hair, and then Paul Stewart would be feisty on the ice, and then the, the famous you know, Koharski moment with, uh, uh, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting in New York. Yeah, and Sean I, Feld. With, yeah, with Shoney, with Shoney in New York. And I think that referees and officials are part of the entertainment aspect of the game, and they should be glorified. Yeah, I don't like that they've been in the shadows. I think that it, it dehumanizes them. It takes away the element of the game that is there. It's present. I think people would buy Wes McCauley jerseys. I would. Buy I think a there would home. be. I would. Yes. I. I mean. I would gladly wear that. And I mean. I'm. I'm biased, man. My grandpa was a referee until the day he died. Two weeks yeah. before he died at 76, he was on the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the oldest referee in USA Hockey system. And I found out later he, he somehow magically managed to stay 65 years old for a really long time, but. I just think that this is a great thing for the NHL to put them on the stage. And I know that the NHL itself had not wanted referees to be able to speak for a long time. I know that. And for better or worse, that's what the policy was. And do we get to the point where referees go up to the stage after a game and do press conferences? No, I don't expect that to happen. But I do think giving them some leniency to speak and to be human and not be completely muzzled is a good thing. And for us at DFO to have Tim Peel to be able to walk us through what has happened and what the referees are thinking, man, it's huge. Like it gives fans, it gives people in the game an opportunity to understand the why and wh- you know why was this? How could they not have seen that call? And if you listen to Tim speak, if you listen to Don Koharski speak on TFT, if you listen to Dave Jackson speak on ESPN, they're going to tell you exactly why that referee didn't have a good sight line. He wasn't able to get there in time. This happened at the blue line, so he couldn't see it. Or maybe he was a little obscured by it, but I bet you anything he knows that he made that and he's going to go to the team and make this blah, 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 blah. This is important stuff because people bag on referees and officials endlessly when realistically they are not who determines the game. I played for 14 years. I dressed over a thousand games and I could probably on one hand think of the times that a referee truly blew it. For an entire game and lost you a game. They call a bad penalty on you. So what? Kill it off. Yeah. You know, I think it's I think it's a great thing for the NHL to have these former officials in positions, frankly, of power that they can speak to it, humanize the element, humanize what they're doing uh, and just give context to what's happening on the ice.
1: Yeah. I, I I'm with you and I think it's important, but to me, it's part of, you know, a, a longer equation. And, and that is hey, you're, you're going to educate the fan who otherwise might be just railing on social media or whatever it is yep. about the referees. And I think it, yeah, I think to be able to tell their story and to explain things again, I go back to the NFL. Um, I, I just, I love when, when we get the, the voice that says, Here's why they're going to make this call or here's why they missed it. I, I love that part of it. I, I do think that the NHL still needs to come to grips though with how, you know, how the game is called and, and it's, a, it is a long equation. A couple of years ago, I was at the, um, it's called the exposure combine, I think in Buffalo and, and, and the NHL, I think has quietly, um. tried. They've tried to bring more people into the pipeline. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's a hard job. Oh my and God. Ex you know players, this. especially. Yes, exactly. Yep. Well, you know, this from being with your girls and youth hockey, it's a thankless God awful job, given oh. how sadly fans and parents often treat people at that young age. And so getting qualified, that pipeline needs to be, full of men and women who love the game and want to be in that position. And, and it's, a, it's a struggle for the NHL, but also I think there's all, that's been a struggle. What is the message from the NHL on how the game is going to be called? And we're going to start this season with a welcome, I think, a uh, crackdown on cross-checking. I don't know how many times watching the playoffs last year, absolutely cringing as a player gets drilled from behind four or five. I think you mentioned Corey, Perry. What's his back look like oh. after a playoff game? But these are important things. The sad part is what the NHL consistently does in my mind is all they do is take pieces that are already in the rule book, highlights them, highlight them, and then they will be. Oh, that's a focus now. We used to be slash on the wrist or the obstruction all those things. They're in the rule book. Call the rule book, but. Yep. I don't know. Do, I, I I feel a bit cynical about this notion that, okay, we're now identified cross-checking and hopefully they will work so that players stop doing that because it's dangerous and it's, and it's illegal, I, but I, I do feel a bit cynical about it.
0: I just think it's going to be like anything else that for the first two months, we see a lot of cross-checking penalties and you get to playoffs <laughs> and it goes away. That's it. Uh, the, the, the conundrum here is that, No one wants the referees to decide the game. That's the, that's the refrain. And so the whistles just get swallowed by playoff time. That's it. We're done. Go do what you want. And, but then you get people that are so upset because they didn't call anything. And I just, to me, it's like, if you have the rule book, call it and people will adapt. They have to adapt. If you keep sitting in the box until January for cross-checking people, it's not going to fly. You're not going to play. Your coach isn't going to put you on the ice, but they have to remain consistent with it. And I I just feel like even in, in playoffs, like it's, it's so exciting to see five on five hockey and the level ratchets up and everything. But, you know, if you set the tone and make those calls, you got to adapt again. It's like, it's like golf, Scott, like you got to play it as it lies. You can't walk up, take the foot wedge out, fluff it up, and get your wedge out and and knock that baby right stick high with a bunch of backspin because you gave yourself a better lie. Well, you can't just get better or different referees during a game that are going to call it differently. You have to adapt to what they're doing. And they're humans. They're all different. But that rule book is finite. It's black and white. It's simple to read. And you can't cross-check somebody. You can't interfere with somebody. And you know, if you're trying to improve scoring, That's always what we're talking about. We need more scoring. We need games more exciting. Who gets blamed first? It's the goalies and the equipment size and everything. Like We've always felt the brunt of that. And you throw that back the other way, and it's like, just call the rule book. You'll get a ton of penalties, or at least if you don't get those penalties, it's going to open up the game and let people shine. We don't want to see Connor McDavid flying through the neutral zone, getting whacked on the wrist or interference. We want to see him unimpeded blow past people and – go top dog between his feet off the bar and look like Superman out there. That's what we want, but we don't allow that to happen when it comes playoff time, when it comes deep into the season. I just think it's got to be consistent. Either you want to have low scoring games with no penalties, or you want to have higher scoring games where the rule books called early to the point that players adapt. And then later on, it doesn't need to be there.
1: Yeah. I, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's a message that comes from the top. And, and it, it, I, I <laughs> I just wish that there was a consistent message that um, what everyone sees and what everyone knows to be true is that the, yeah, a the game is different come playoff time. It should be, the, there's more at stake and you're playing mm-hmm. in the same team night after night. Um, but I do feel that it is also uh, self-evident that the game is called differently. And uh, again, I, you just wish that there was a consistent message from the top on to the bottom where, where we could see a change in that. So maybe we'll see this change with this, uh, with the cross-checking, maybe it'll carry on all the way through the season into the playoffs. So uh I, I will, uh, I look forward to seeing it happen. In I do too. I yeah. <laughs> don't have much hope for it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, me too. All right. Gonna, uh, I'm pessimistic. <laughs> we're going to come back and wrap up the first edition of the suitcase and describe uh, first though. Doordash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. And I know you were a big fan of Doordash, Mike, and uh, I, I'm glad that uh, that they're aboard. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm looking. It's already making me hungry. So, uh,
0: well, you've we've got that promo code to use, and I think that during the pandemic, we all learn different ways. To find get to get food delivered to your house, and thankfully, DoorDash in St. Louis, Missouri, is a pretty uh pretty expansive list of restaurants. We've got a Thai place down the street, and another nice. um, couple of different favorites that you know we used it during the pandemic because we weren't going out of the house, and now we found that. We're using it now because it's just so easy and it gives us more time. So big DoorDasher fan. And uh, as you said, now we've got some rapid fire. And so, Scotty, I I think I'm going to start off. I'm going to pose you a couple questions here. So I've got three of them for you. And I just want to take this some different directions. First one. Which team or teams do you think are going to surprise this season?
1: Oh, that's good. Uh, now, you want a positive surprise or a negative surprise? Um, it's open ended on purpose. Open ended. You know, here's here's. I, I think there's a certain amount of cynicism about the Edmonton Oilers. Um, you know, the whole. You know, the Duncan Keith edition and and and, and they've lost they've lost uh, for me a, a lot of the defensive depth that you might have a couple of years ago would have expected that mm-hmm. um, we're, we're going to be important players. Ethan is in Carolina now, um, you know, Adam Larson is in yeah. Seattle, was I think had evolved into a really underappreciated top four shutdown D guy. Um, left bombs still out there left bomb still gone we yeah. injury so his place and you know his return unknown but long-term Caleb Jones, of course, joining, joining Seth Jones in Chicago, but I, I talked to a scout not long ago and he, he really thinks that this is this oiler team is, is better or that they will be better this season. And a lot of it has to do with Zach Hyman. I'm going to use this. I use this. Uh, I, I'm going to use it repeatedly and pretend that I came up with it, but I did have an executive who said to me, what if Zach Hyman is to Connor McDavid, what Chris Kunitz was to Sidney Crosby. And if that's the case, um, you know, a lot of the questions about who helps Dre Idol and, and McDavid, who, who, who supports them in terms of scoring and production. I think Zach Hyman is a huge part of that. Um, and so I think the Oilers are going to be a, a surprise. I picked them to go to the final four. I, I picked them to go to a Western Conference final. So that's my, that's one of my surprise teams. I like now, that.
0: I, I think the Rangers are a team I would look for. And, and I also don't want, I wouldn't discount the Dave Tippett factor in Edmonton. I think he has really done a good job coaching that club. He's been successful previously with Phoenix and Dallas. That team's finally bought into it. If if they can keep that defensive pressure that they did last season, can they roll that into playoffs? That's my question for them.
1: The thing I like about Dave Tippett is that, and I, I believe this is his contract year, it, it, you, all other coaches, that is, could be or would be an issue. And we saw Sheldon Keith sign an extension in Toronto, really to take that out of the equation, which t- totally makes sense to me. Dave Tippett can do whatever he wants. He's, <laughs> he's one of the smartest people. He's an astute businessman. He's in this to win a Stanley cup. And if it, if it, it's not about him personally, I, I just think you're absolutely right. Mike, he's a great fit there. There's a lot of pressure on him this year, and that whole team, as there should be, there's no way you should never have been swept by Winnipeg. That was, that's embarrassing, but I do think the Oilers do take a step forward this year. Uh, all right. I'm going to give you a name we'll, we'll do a little word association. Then Carter Hart
0: in major need of a good start to the season yeah. because last year was abysmal. It was not anything that he or the team wanted, but they continue to believe in him. They continue to throw all their weight behind him, yeah. but he's going to have to earn that crease. Yeah. Martin Jones was a starting goaltender for the last however many years in the NHL. He's won a lot of hockey games. He has had incredibly mixed results as well. He needs to bounce back too, yeah. but Carter Hart has to win that net. He's got to come to work every day with a smile on his face, have some fun, and get that joy back. I think it can happen. I like. I think Philly should be improved defensively, um, and I think that'll help insulate him and give him some confidence. Um, but he's, def- he's gone through the first bit of adversity, really, in an, <laughs> almost half a lifetime. You know, He has always been on a really good team and been able to perform. So bounce-back season needed. He's got to grab that net early and run with it
1: yeah I, I i''m I'm a little bit biased. I spent some time with Carter a couple of summers ago, uh, and I know you know him from your your time in philadelphia yeah. um, such a a good kid and and really smart and just before we leave that I, I, to me and it 's not just Carter Hart, but to me, I think this is a season after the last two seasons with the covid and the restrictions. my sense of a young man who was going through a difficult time last season would have been very it would have been exacerbated by the fact that you don't have the time on the road with your teammates. You you can't go and hang out at Claude Giroux's place, or you shouldn't have. You can't go and be, you can't find solace or comfort in a way that you normally would. And I think, well, I'll ask you, do you think that this season, assuming we, we maintain a sort of normal ability to interact, how important is it for a young player, whether it's Carter Hart or Alexis Lefrenier or any other young mm. player that maybe, didn't achieve what they wanted to. How important is it to have normal?
0: It's just such a hard way to break into the league and establish yourself when you don't have the normal creature comforts of being a human being. Yeah. It's so tough to do. But some people handle it better than others. Some people didn't affect them whatsoever. You know, and I think that that's really how you compartmentalize things. You know, I, I do think that that is a sign of the mental strength of some players that are able to take these things and just put them away. You know, sometimes I believe that the hyper-focused hockey people struggle when they don't have resources and outlets outside of hockey. And I I think that in a situation like last year, man, I'd have been doing everything I could to find a hobby in my house. I would have been a prolific guitar player. You know, like I, I, I would have read 15,000 books. Like I just, I would have found things to do to take my mind off of hockey because it's so easy to spiral when things don't go well and when there's expectations and when they're all on your shoulders. And I mean, I love Brian Elliott, but he wasn't pushing Carter hard at all.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and that's, it was a good fit because good mentor friends, I think Martin Jones, now you've got somebody come in who's been a number one and he's going to push him. So yeah. it was a tough year for, for players. But then again, like some people were fine, you know, it, it affects everybody differently. And so my next question for you revolves around kind of that similar topic. How many games this year are rescheduled due to COVID-19? I'm
1: going to say zero. Good. I think we're we're on track. I think, and I I think, you know, not to go down the uh, vaccination rabbit hole, but I I think the fact that we're going to start this regular season with, really a handful of players who are unvaccinated, I think is critical. And even though, you know, I, you know, my understanding of Jake Gensel is that that was, you know, he was vaccinated still. he uh, was dealing with some COVID issues. But I, what I hope we were going to find is that those things, that's reality. That's the reality of COVID-19, but it's not going to lay waste to a team. Like we saw with Dallas out of the right. break last year, we saw with Vancouver, Buffalo, I don't think we're going to see any of that. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see, watch me jinx it now. Smooth sailing 82 games. So I
0: agree with you. I hope so, at least.
1: Yes. All right. I'll ask you. Final question. A Little word association. Vladimir Tarasenko.
0: Oh, when does that blow up in St. Louis? I mean, here's a, here's your star player making $8 million who's, finally healthy again, who should contribute to your team. And he doesn't want to be there. And I know everybody's saying the right thing, but that's a distraction. And that's going to at some point blow up yeah. if that's not taken care of. Like, Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I don't know. Maybe somebody in the locker room is going to grab him and just say, Hey, you're, you're either on board here or you can just leave. I don't know how that's going to play out. Cause I, the whole thing's just weird to me. You know, you're, you're already being paid handsomely in a city that you've won a Stanley cup in you've been a great player in the league before. I know that there seemed to be an undercurrent there that he wasn't happy with his medical care. Again, here comes medical care into the picture. Uh, And that can cause a real rift between a team and a player. But at a certain point it's like, Hey, this is done. Now let's go play hockey and forget this. You know, the the spitefulness that seems to come with it and the vindictiveness of just wanting to be out because of that sometimes takes people over and You know, I, I don't know how that's going to play. And, and I, I think Tarasenko was such a big piece to that team. And I don't know if he is any longer because in, in my eyes, I feel like that team had moved on from him, yeah. even though they haven't moved him. Yeah. I think this would be a really interesting year for, year for him because I don't see him getting back to the level he was. It's, and then it's I don't know who's going to take him at 8 million bucks.
1: I, I just think it's such a fascinating year for the Blues. You know, they haven't looked great since, uh, you know, winning the Stanley Cup in 2019. Yeah. Jacqueline they, Hyde. Yeah, very. And a lot of cra- pressure, I think, on Craig Berube to start. But I, I talked to somebody who was saying, you know, what on you know, the. I thought Doug Armstrong has done an, another nice job of, you know, he brings in Pavel Buchnevich from yeah. New York. Much love there. And I wonder if having Buchnevich there, is that something that. You know, is is there a, a natural bond that forms with Tarasenko? Um, Brandon Saad in the lineup there, two-time Stanley Cup winner. I, you know, there's no reason the Blues shouldn't be in the playoffs, but that central division really... It's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of margin for error and the blues have, there's a lot on the plate there and, and it starts with Tarasenko. So
0: it does hundred percent. And I agree with Armstrong. Of course, he's got a, a brand new contract extension, I believe yeah. five more years in St. Louis and well-earned Stanley cup. And the team's been in the playoffs all but one year under his leadership. Um, but I do, I do, I think that the Tarasenko thing is a real distraction and I don't know where it plays out. Maybe it all gets smooth shoved under the rug. Who knows? Uh, but that we've seen this all before. It just festers. Something's got to change there. I got one more for you to end this. This is a fun one. All I want to know is all-star game in Vegas. Scotty, we're, we're looking at this. We're, we're circling it. We're thinking, you know what? We might be getting the band back together. Like Jake and Elwood, we might get, you know, some dry white toast and a couple of fried chickens, just like those boys in the blues brothers. Where's the first place we're going in Vegas when we meet up for the all-star game.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I like your, I like your thinking, and I'm I'm already going to be starting to do some uh, some research. My favorite dive bar in Vegas closed down. I haven't been there in years. Uh, I like the you know the uh, there's a uh, um I like a, a place called the AC do no Oasis, Oasis, O Aces like oh and then aces i i've I spent the interesting evening there uh, but i'm here here you're the vegas man mike and <laughs> my bottom line is where you go i go well maybe
0: we'll go do a little tiki bar i had a friend of mine one of our uh, our folks from the broadcast crew chris jones gave me the true insider tour of vegas when i was there and There's some pretty cool places to head to. And of course, our our mutual friend, Brian Slagle, the owner and CEO of Metal Blade Records, is also a Vegas. He is now a full time Vegas resident and can take us plenty of places. So we'll bounce off one another. We'll make it happen. I can't wait for it to to go, man. Like getting, and and people in hockey, like the players want this, but people in media media want it just as much too. Hey, Scotty, like you haven't been able to see all your friends and compatriots now for way too long on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. Well, let's make it happen. Absolutely. My friend, this has been outstanding. The first edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe now in the books. Um, can't wait for next week and fine work by you. Let's do it again. I I'm, I'm, I wish we could tape the second one right now, but no, we're going to have to wait. Uh,
0: we'll, have more talkies, we'll have more hockey topics next time. It'll be even That's better. It. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and the Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.